Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with that guy who says he's going to open up a cocaine store in uh, Vancouver today. Let's talk about this now with my guest, Kevin Falcon, leader of BC United, leader of the opposition in the legislature. Kevin, thank you for coming on today. No problem, Mike. Great to be with you. Okay, let's talk about this guy who says he's opening up his cocaine, heroin, and meth store in Vancouver today. His name is Jerry Martin. He says he's got his grand opening today for his cocaine store. Let's have a listen to what he has to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. Here's Jerry Martin. You know, a lot of these people, in fact, all of them, they have to take a risk every day where they go get their drugs. They're either going to get something that isn't clean or safe, or they can put themselves in a dangerous situation. For the people out there that think it's a really bad idea, you want to look at it from the user's angle and the family of that user. Yeah, you got to look at it from the angle of the user. Where are they supposed to get their cocaine from? Kevin Falcon, what do you think of this? I think it's outrageous. I hope it gets shut down the, the very first day it opens. I mean, this is um, this drives me crazy, Mike, because I think this is a natural ongoing continuation of a an NDP government that has a philosophical approach that the more um, so-called safe drugs uh, that we can get out into the community, the better we'll somehow be. The evidence does not back that up. I think the evidence is all around us that we're seeing a massive public policy failure here. And uh, this is just the logical extension of this idea that there should be publicly supplied addictive drugs made widely available to people. And, and, and it's not... It's not going to save lives. The evidence isn't there. I, you know, everything they're doing from their risky decriminalization experiment to, you know, uh, vending drug machines to now a mobile, you know, whatever the heck that thing is, driving around handing out methamphetamine and cocaine, et cetera, is just, it makes no sense at all to me. Well, well, it's it's illegal, you know, what the guy's proposing. He's trying to push the boundaries, I guess. He's trying to test the limits here to see what will happen, I suppose. This seems like kind of an experiment here to test government resolve on this because you're not you can't sell cocaine, you can't sell heroin and meth. It's not illegal. Well, possession well, I, is know, possession frankly, is a Go ahead. I I I I can't blame the guy for wanting to do this and test government resolve because there is no resolve. I mean, we've been pushing for them to just have a basic guardrail in place with respect to open drug use in parks, playgrounds, and beaches. And they cannot even put modest restrictions around that. And we've got, you know, cases where young kids are coming home with fentanyl packages they found at their playgrounds. Yeah. The NDP are actually pushing back against communities that are trying to actually pass bylaws to say no open drug use at parks, playgrounds, and beaches. So, you know, this guy will probably get a pass from this government, to be honest with you. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, he says he's going to open this store. It's like a mobile store that he's got set up, and the pictures of it are kind of comical. And we'll see if it gets shut down. I agree with you. I think it should be shut down right away if, if he actually does open up this cocaine store today. Let's have a listen to his lawyer here. This guy is serious. He says he's been in the marijuana business in the past. He's a for- He says he's a former addict who, who kicked drugs. But he says that people who are still using uh, need a a safe supply uh, of drugs so they don't die from overdoses. And he's got a lawyer, too. So let's listen to his lawyer here. This is Paul Lewin, and then I'll get your thoughts. Vancouver is also suffering through a terrible uh, opioid scourge, and it's really uh, it's opioid poisoning is what's going on. People are dying. Um, so it's a huge problem. Safe supply would address that. 
think of the safe supply argument? Yeah. Well, I call that publicly supplied addictive drugs. And I would just point out that uh, every, um, you know, medical specialist doctor you talk to that specializes in addiction will tell you that increased exposures to to drugs uh, results in more drug use. And if you look at what's happening in Alberta, right next door to us, similar size population, they looked at the BC approach and said, no way, no how are we going down that path. And they went to focus, as we've been uh, encouraging government to do, where the primary focus is on treatment and recovery. And they've seen a reduction, a 50% reduction in the overdose deaths, where in BC they continue to escalate to the highest levels ever. And we've got the situation where we saw in March, Mike, you'll recall, 19 straight days of over 100 overdoses a day. Like how on earth does anyone think that handing out more drugs highly dangerous drugs by the way there's no such thing as safe supply these are highly dangerous drugs methamphetamine cocaine heroin etc are going to help people get better i mean the the focus is all wrong help me help me to understand precisely what your position is here when it comes to decriminalization here because right now that is the law of the land in bc we're the only province where this has been implemented 2.5 grams is the legal possession limit cocaine heroin meth these other dangerous drugs you, I believe you have said that you, you will support that in principle as long as there are safeguards in place to help people, right? Exactly. But they're not in place now, correct? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly oh, right. Oh, and and okay. we were very concerned about this because we just didn't trust the NDP that they would actually have proper guardrails in place. There's no education for kids. The treatment services yeah. that are supposed to be in place prior to going ahead with their risky experiment are not in place. We looked next door at Portland, Oregon, where they decriminalized hard drugs similar to what BC's done. And a year later, they had a 39% increase in opioid overdose deaths. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm really, really concerned about where this is going. Yeah. And also, frankly, just think about the message that we're sending to kids. Decriminalize drugs, safe mm. supply, harm reduction. All these terms have meanings that, frankly, I think can be really, really confusing for kids. There's, uh, <clears throat> most of the safe, so-called safe supply or publicly supplied addictive drugs that are being handed out are being resold so that the people that are struggling with addiction can go buy their drug of choice. And those drugs are now being sold to, this is very, you hear this everywhere. They're being sold to high school students and, and college students because don't worry, these are safe drugs from the government. There's no fentanyl in them. And uh, I, I just, I'm very, very concerned about where this is all ending up. Okay. Another topic of concern right now, and, and that is the number of school portables in the city of Surrey. I mean, this is a story that's been around forever but we seem to be going back to the old days here of more school portables even on the grounds of schools that were just recently constructed so let's have a listen here to one concerned parent speaking to global news news here this is fallon vickers about portables at her child's school edgewood elementary what was it's only a couple of years old but they still got portable they already have portables let's listen i'll get your thoughts if we had had a little bit of forethought this wouldn't be necessary we're not preparing for the density that's coming. Okay, so I guess she's saying they should have built a better, better, uh, bigger school when they were building it two years ago. Your thoughts? Well, she's well, she's one hundred percent right. And first of all, I should tell you, you know, portables have always been a reality at schools. They, you know, oh, yeah. when during my time in government, we managed to reduce the portables in Surrey by a hundred. So we went from three seventy that were there when we inherited government from the NDP, you know, in two thousand one to um, down to two hundred and seventy. Three, I think, was what we ended up with by 2017. The problem is 
this is an NDP government that promised that the, this was a signature promise they made in their 2017 election, that they would, in fact, eliminate all the portables within their first term by 2020. Instead, they've doubled the portables. And now you've got the school board seriously looking at uh, double stacking portables because they're literally running out of room on a lot of these school properties. You know, they've taken up the parking lots. They're into the fields now. And it's a real crisis. And the school board, with one voice, has been trying to send this signal, this alarm to all the NDP MLAs in Surrey that, frankly, have done absolutely nothing. The Minister of Education is from Surrey. And they've just utterly failed to deal with it. And, and as I say, they've doubled the number of portables. It's a so what, record. So what would you do? Escalate school construction in Surrey? Absolutely. You have to. And you've got to have a special project team. That's what we set up. Uh, in fact, I, I was finance minister when you know we launched a whole bunch of the big schools that, are, that have opened. Uh, some under the NDP, in fact, like Granby Heights Secondary and Salish Secondary and Cassie Elementary, Sunnyside Elementary, etc. These are all schools that were started because we had a project team in place and we accelerated the construction schedules and we made sure that we had, uh, uh, you know, uniformity amongst design so that we can move these things ahead faster. And I think that the big challenge we're facing right now is not that the NDP don't have the will. I think they do want to get these things built. They just don't know how to execute. They don't have the experience of working in a, you know, the private sector and know how to get big projects done. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Let's talk about trucks versus overpasses. Yep, it happened again this time on Monday in Abbotsford. Have a listen to this report. Global News anchor Sophie Louie. Another case of a vehicle hitting an overpass, this time on Highway 1 in Abbotsford, and it was caught on camera. In the moments leading up to the collision, a truck carrying what appears to be equipment heads east toward the Pierdenville Road overpass. When the truck drives underneath, it strikes that overpass, causing debris to fall and hit a nearby vehicle. BC Highway Patrol says there were no injuries. Commercial vehicle safety enforcement is also on the scene and charges are being considered under the Motor Vehicle Act. Okay, of course, we've got the now mandatory dash cam video of this latest accident. Uh, these are like cringeworthy because you can just you can just see it coming. The guy's going down the highway. You know he's going to slam into this overpass, and there's just nothing you could do to stop it. And we're fortunate that I think there have only been injuries so far to innocent bystanders. They could be worse. Have a listen to this this victim here. This is Jade Dallas, and she got hit by some flying concrete after one of these hits. Have a listen. A big chunk of the concrete had hit my face after it went through the window, so I have pretty extreme amount of dental damage on the right side of my face and facial fractures. Okay, that's pretty terrible. It uh, could be worse here. Why does this keep happening here now? I and mean, we've had, what, 15 of these in the last two years. One-third of those hits by one particular company that's now issued a statement saying that they're, they're following all the rules and it's not their fault. Let's check in with Andy Roberts now, president of Mountain Transport Institute in Castlegar. Very pleased to welcome him back. Andy, thank you for coming on today. You're welcome, Mike. Good morning. It's, uh, um, it, it's a head shaker. I, 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 you know, I don't understand. Uh, the, last, the latest video that, uh, you know, the boom on that excavator, that's not even close to legal height. You know, you don't even need a tape measure to tell that that's over height. So 
I, I don't quite understand what these drivers are obviously not looking at when they're when they're driving down the highways and loading these loads. Yeah, this last one, you're right. This last one, the video is is unbelievable because you're looking at this huge load. It's like you got some heavy equipment on the bed of this truck and it's sticking way up in the air. And there's just no way he's getting under this overpass here and you just watch it coming at you in slow motion and you just wish you could tell the guy, stop, slow down, you're going to hit this thing and it just keeps happening. So Andy, let's talk a little bit about the, the rules on this. Now you, at Mountain Transport Institute... You train truck drivers, correct? That's correct. We train new drivers, yes. Yeah, yeah. And you guys have got a great reputation in that regard. So let me let me ask you about the rules here. So you mentioned, for example, on this particular incident that happened Monday in Abbotsford, the load on this truck obviously way, way too high. What is the the process that is supposed to be followed here for an oversized load? So if, you know, first of all, your, your, your maximum legal height, is without a permit is 4.15 meters, just a little over 13 feet six inches. Um, the so so uh, the cab the cab of the truck in in that video appears to have a what we call a condominium or a high rise sleeper on it, which would pretty much be very close to your maximum legal height. So it's an easy comparison in that situation for the driver to recognize the height. Anytime you're going to haul an oversized load, you need to apply for a permit through the BC government, and those permits uh, are issued and have generally have some pretty strict uh, direction as to what routes you can travel on and those sorts of things. And even having a permit, you're still responsible to make sure that your load complies to the you know, the measurements that you've given the government. Um, and obviously, this is when it, when it won't fit under that overpass. That's not even our lowest overpass. The the uh, the piece of equipment just wasn't loaded properly. Right. And when that happens, so the, is this an example of, I mean, there's an investigation going on, but typically when these things happen, is it a case of the load is too big, like the the driver has not measured the load properly, or maybe they're not following the approved route, or maybe they didn't even get the permit, or maybe it, could it be a combination of all of those? combination of all of those but obviously with how high that boom is based on the size of that piece of equipment it just wasn't loaded correctly so that's a that's as soon as the driver pulls away with that load i mean they're responsible for that so that becomes driver error right off the bat right and what are the are there any kind of warning signs in a truck like if you've got there's that notorious one we had recently where there was a, a huge dump truck that was traveling along with with the dump the dump bed sort of stuck up in the air and i was just wondering like wouldn't the driver know like hey your dump trucks in the in the up position like wouldn't there be a, a, a fla something flashing on your dashboard no it won't necessarily be flashing but that okay. one you, you should have just felt it you know the, the there would be a certain amount of sway driving down the road with that in the air and and um you know if we teach people to check their mirrors every six to eight seconds um you know, one mirror check would have you would have clearly seen that box was in the air. Yeah, so, uh, driver was not paying attention. Okay, Andy, what do you? I mean, you're one of the top trainers in in British Columbia for truck drivers. So, what do you think's going on here? Do you think some of these drivers are not properly trained? I think it's a combination of um, training needs to improve. I think um, people are in too much of a hurry. Uh, I've been in the business. The, I've been a driver for 40 years, and, and any of the old-time drivers will tell you that 
people are going from new driver to pulling uh, highly technical trailers and and loads way faster than than ever used to happen in in the quote good old days and so they're just not as experienced and i i think uh you know some of this training is required through a driving school but a lot of the training actually falls on on the employer's shoulders because as an entry level driver you're going to learn to to drive and haul basic loads when you get into low bedding and hauling equipment and stuff there's additional training required and and under the national safety code there's a responsibility on the part of the carrier the trucking company to ensure their drivers are properly trained right so that's an interesting story you just told about the you know the good old days and how it was different in those days when you started out so what would it have been like in those days would you would you have started out on like a smaller truck in in those days, um, you, you I bet you everybody that hauled that kind of equipment around had at least ten years experience. Um, you know, we're we're going back into the eighties, and and uh, there just wasn't as many jobs available. And and uh, if you got a job, you started on a smaller truck and you worked your way up. And I think we're back into just a, a case of there's just not enough people to go around for all the available jobs. And when a carrier has a load to be delivered and, and the driver may be not as well qualified as he'd like, they, they go, well, geez, we've got to get this load delivered. And so there's, there's pressure from customers as well to, to make this stuff happen, right? Speaking of Andy Roberts, Mountain Transport Institute in Castlegar, yeah, it happened again, another truck, another collision with a, a highway overpass. Let's talk about the fines and penalties here for, the, for these incidents, Andy, and, and whether the fines are are too low. So in this particular case, the one that happened Monday in Abbotsford, the Ministry of Transportation issued a statement here, said, and I'm looking at it right now, there are fines for violating the conditions of a permit or for operating without appropriate overheight permit. And currently, each of those violations is subject to a fine of $115. $115. That's like a visit through the fast the fast checkout in the supermarket these days. I mean, that's kind of, isn't that kind of peanuts? Andy, 115 bucks. That's not very much. There are some increases. August 1st, there's uh, uh, a bunch of rules changes coming um, primarily around electronic logbooks being instituted in British Columbia. And at that time, when they rewrite those regulations, there's going to be stiffer fines uh, in place. But even at that, I, I, I think we go back to to the entry point where the you know at this point we've only had a couple of people hurt, and yeah. how long is it until somebody dies, and and is is it that the point when when something changes? I don't know. Um, I I really don't know what to say. It it's to me it's a miracle that we've had fifteen of these and we haven't seriously killed killed or seriously hurt somebody. Yeah. Okay. What do you think should be done? Like, what kind of changes do you think should be brought in? It's. It, I don't know if if there needs to be um, there needs to be a tieback of that issuing of that permit to somebody's driver's license and and can you only haul uh, do, do we have to go down the road of you can only haul an oversized load and a, a permitted load if you have a certain number of years of experience as a as a professional driver um, I, I don't know that the government would ever consider that but I, I think that's the sort of thing that. You know they they've been relying on the employers or the trucking companies to do that sort of stuff, and obviously it's it doesn't appear to be happening anymore. Right. 
Right. When I talk to the head of the BC Trucking Association, he always tells me there's a shortage of drivers. They're really desperate for truck drivers right now. Is that one of the problems too? Like maybe the companies are just desperate to hire anybody. Absolutely, it is, and, yeah. and it's it's absolutely the case. And and the baby boomers are retiring, and that's where all the experience is going is is uh, into retirement. Yeah. Is is training mandatory? Like. When people come to your school and get training there, is it mandatory to go through a course like that? Absolutely. There's mandatory entry-level training, which I think is going to raise the bar. Uh, I mean, we've always run a similar eight-week program to what what the MELT program is, Uh, but there have been a lot of schools um, that have literally just been teaching people the road test over the years, and all those drivers are still out there. Um, you know, the, the new drivers coming out, in theory, are trained to a higher standard. They're, they're tested to a higher standard uh, by the schools than they were in the past. So I, I think we're heading in the right direction with that, but, yeah. but it's, uh, there's still lots of people out there that didn't get that training. Okay, last question for you. Are, are drivers also pushing the limits of their abilities? Because I've heard from drivers who say there's a lot of pressure on them to make the deliveries on time and drivers may be driving while they're tired or maybe they're cutting corners. Do you think that's going on? Uh, I think it definitely goes on in certain segments of the industry. Um, the, the interesting part of this is all of, most of these hits appear to have happened during the day. Uh, so it's not like it's happening at night when you would be more likely for people to be tired uh, or make it more difficult for them to see the height of the vehicle. Uh, so in the case of actually hitting the overpasses, I I wouldn't think that's as big a, an issue. But, wow. I mean, in other segments of the industry, definitely the, that can happen for sure. Andy, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great day. All right, let's talk about the young women in the Airbnb suite on the Sunshine Coast who found the hidden camera in the bathroom up there. What a story this is. This has gone viral around the world now. Now, this all started when a a group of women, they were celebrating one of their friend's birthdays, a little girls' getaway weekend, as, as Kennedy Caldwell described it for me here. Yesterday, they went away for a little party time, little... A little trip away to this Airbnb in Gibsons, B.C. And she told me that one of their friends in this group just had that the the spidey sense going on, just had a feeling there were cameras in the place. They started looking everywhere, and she said they found a camera in the bathroom pointed at the shower. The camera was hidden behind an electrical outlet. I've got Steve Parkin standing by to discuss. First, let's have a little listen to part of the interview yesterday. Kennedy Caldwell on the show yesterday. She blew the lid off this whole story here with her TikTok video on it that she told me has been viewed like six million times now. And I was very grateful to her for being on the show yesterday. Let's have a listen to her her description of what happened here. Yeah, um... I mean, I was like, we're not in a horror movie. Like, <laughs> I, again, I didn't know they could make cameras that small. I was like, there's no way they could fit one in an outlet. Like, let's just go have fun. This was like the middle of the night. Like, let's not scare ourselves right now. But then as she showed us one by one what she was actually seeing in the outlet, we all became convinced and then started freaking out. It kind of hit us, the gravity of the situation. Like, wait, is this really a camera? And if it is, how long has this camera been in this Airbnb? There could be 
children that were staying here the weekend before or like how long has this been going on and we started to because we had been there for a day or two before and so we had been like showering and in the bathroom for a long time so like what footage was out there of us was this being live streamed like we started to get really scared we locked up all the doors we made makeshift weapons and hid them under our pillows like the night took a bit of a dark turn which was unfortunate since we were there celebrating a birthday okay as kennedy Caldwell on yesterday's show she also told me they notified the police the police are investigating she told me the police told her that they found two cameras in the place so there were two bathrooms in the suite. She said the police told her they found a, a camera in the other bathroom, too. Let's uh, ch- talk about it now with my guest, Steve Parkins. Steve is the president of Tap Sweep Counter Surveillance Services. And I'm very pleased to welcome him. Steve, thanks a lot for coming on today. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Nice talking to you. What a hey, situation, huh? Yeah, no kidding, Steve. And, and uh, sadly, this is not the first time that it's happened. No. And I, I know you've been asked to comment many times on similar stories in the past. Like, what goes through your mind? What do you think when you hear about these stories? Uh, not as uncommon as people think, and uh, which is very unfortunate. But, you know, once again, supply and demand gives you a bit of an, uh, an idea of what's going on. When you look at these devices and how inexpensive they are to purchase, you know, they're selling them in, in massive quantities around the world. And uh, they're easy to buy, and it just comes down to motivation. So if someone's motivated, uh, it's easy to buy, easy to install or leave behind. It's a pretty sad thing to be doing, but uh, believe me, this is not uh, not an isolated incident. And yeah, there's it's a lot not, more I... of them out there. You don't hear about them too often. So good for them for actually speaking up, because I think a lot of people are just, without worrying, are going to... Just take another little look. Just trust their instincts a little bit sometimes, and that's the most important thing. Right. Like you said, it's more common than you think. You wonder how many people have been filmed without their knowledge. I mean, who would think to look at a, a an, an electrical outlet in a bathroom to find a find a camera? Now, I talked to Kennedy Caldwell mm. about that yesterday on the show. Let's have a listen to what she had to say here, Steve, about how how common these cameras are because... One of her friends knew about this. They'd seen some stories. They'd seen some videos about this thing, and she, she had a, just a feeling it was happening to them. Here's Kennedy Caldwell. Let's listen. Crazy because I've received so many comments on it of people sharing similar experiences, and I had no idea this was so common. It makes me really nervous. I'm like, we're being watched everywhere. Yeah, so she was saying that this story's gone viral on her, and uh, she's received thousands of comments on it, including from people who said, hey, it has happened to me too. Your thoughts? Um, well, first of all, good for her to uh, sort of you know speak up and, and, and say such a thing. So uh, I would love to know how many more people are having the situation. Often when I get called in, there's a lot more stress involved. It's a, it's a little bit different. I'm not going to look at a B&B, which is just like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's it's a different kind of situation, but you're seeing this everything from divorces to corporate espionage, of course. Um, so all the way along, all the way up, these are simple, easy devices that, to put in, which is unfortunate. Um, ah. There's also some big cases in, in hotel rooms in the States that have happened that uh, they've had multi-million dollar lawsuits, but you only hear about it when it's, when it's, a, uh, when it's a star. You don't hear about them ever doing any sweeping or any checking. So um, that's all I can tell you for now. On to your question. Yeah. Okay. Steve, tell me a little bit about the work that you do at Tap Sweep there, Counter Surveillance Services. What do you do there? So 
what we do is is a sort of a full full range. So we we look after the um, we, we go in and we look for wiretaps, bugging devices, um, various uh, vulnerabilities in businesses on the corporate level. So it's everything sometimes from doors, which is not exactly what we do, but we look at all the different ways someone can get in, all the different ways someone can actually steal information. So it's about stealing information, which is illegal. I mean, there's a little bit of you can find things online, but going in and leaving a device behind. Uh, that's illegal, and it does happen, yeah. and uh, that's been going on forever and ever. You can go way back in the day and, and, and hear things like that. So it also goes down to the residential levels. There's not a lot of us that do the residential levels. But, uh, you know, th- there are some serious concerns. Sometimes they're, they're, they're kind of scary, and sometimes they're just smaller things like the Airbnbs. But that's a concern when you, when you go somewhere and you just want to go and have a vacation and not have to worry about such things. Right. Right. I'm glad you mentioned and stressed that this is illegal and this is strictly illegal in our country in Canada under the criminal code of Canada. This is mm-hmm. voyeurism. So you're, you cannot do this. This is strictly illegal yeah. and it's punishable by up to five years in jail. Also, mm-hmm. according to the Airbnb policies, when you look at their policies on this, Airbnb says, Okay, you're allowed to have security cameras, but you must disclose these cameras to the guests. The guests must know where they yeah. are, and you can't yeah. put a you can't put a camera in a bathroom. You can't put a camera in a bedroom. Do you think those are adequate yeah. policies there for Airbnb? Well, besides the policies, so the policies are there, um, but policies are policies, and uh, in this situation, let me let me, let me just go backwards and what I was saying there. They can have policies in there, but they can't regulate the people who are, who are um, you know, doing this kind of voyeurism. Um, yeah. And who's to say, and this is another part of it, it wasn't the person who rented the Airbnb before them. You know, yeah, who's right. to say? And yeah. these things have batteries, except for when, like the one the girls found, that's, you know, powered all the time through, uh, through electricity. So, you know, besides the policy, what's the reality? The reality is, uh, if you're worried, you have to think twice now, unfortunately. That could have been, like I said, put in by somebody else. It's really hard to prove this stuff in court. I mean, this one doesn't write the name on it. A uh, hidden camera installed by, you know, blah, blah, blah. And even so, you can say someone else wrote that down. So the thing is, the reality is, it may be there. Uh, if it's a self-powered thing, well, the battery's going to maybe last for a week, but for $40 to put a device in, you never know who was there before. Um, you know, t- take take a, like, like the girls did a good, did a good thing. They looked around. I really don't know what in- inspired that, but if you're not sure, and it's everything, it's different for everybody who goes into these places. So, if you're worried about uh, being being seen um, in in a bathroom bedroom, just take a quick look. Just use your eyes. Just take a moment. You don't have to buy any tools. A camera has to see you. So it's not going to be hidden behind a medicine cabinet. It's not going to be hidden behind a couch. It has to see something. It's just like a regular camera. So if you're standing somewhere and you're not sure, turn around, take a look. You know, you can shine a light and and a camera lens will flash back at you. Cameras are very easy to find. Audio devices are very difficult to find. Okay, that's very interesting, Steve. One of the things you just said to me was I thought was intriguing that who knows who's to say this it wasn't the person that stayed before you in the suite like that's interesting because i think maybe most people think like oh this is the owner of the airbnb who's doing spying on the guests but you don't know i mean maybe you might have some creepy pervert who puts a camera in and then comes back a 
months later and rents the same suite and, and retrieves the camera. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's yeah, possible. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so I asked I asked Kennedy Caldwell about that yesterday too, and and we talked about, you know, what advice does she give to other people who may be staying at an Airbnb? Like, how worried should we be about this stuff? Here's what she had to tell me, then I'll get your thoughts. Here's Kennedy Caldwell yesterday. Sure. Search the house, which is such an unfortunate thing that we have to start doing. But I mean, trust your instincts as well. My friend was totally on point with it, so we're so glad she was there to find them because who knows how long they would have stayed there if we hadn't found them. Yeah, so she said her friend just had a feeling something was up, and she also recommends, like, take a look around. So so what advice would you give to people, Steve? Like, where would you look? Um, once again, if any place that you're worried, if it's a camera now, it has to see you. So, yeah. I mean, line of sight. So she's in a bathroom. Take a look at those things. Now that, now that she saw them, it only takes a moment. It's always in where the grounding thing is. It's too, you know, you, put the, you plug something in, and then there's a little round grounding uh, uh, inlet underneath that. Take a look in there. That's if it sees something against glass and shiny, then then you should worry about it. If you're not certain, I mean, and you don't want to look at this, just put tape over it or something, right? But uh, you know, I don't want to say do that in someone else's place. Um, you know, there's smoke detectors are, are another one, and they're in a lot of rooms. They're very difficult to see, unfortunately, and you don't want to be messing around with a smoke detector. Um, so if you're not certain. Look at the name. See if there's a name on it. Is it called a certain brand? Uh, if you're really worried, uh, you can always Google it. And if someone is selling this stuff on the other end, they're selling a smoke detector with a camera in it. They are selling that because there is a camera in it, and they want to tell you there's a camera in it. So somewhere on the website, when you put the code, it's going to say smoke detector with camera built in. And you can buy these at hardware stores in Vancouver as well. I'm in the Ottawa area, but you can buy these uh, there as well, a lot more expensive. But they, you know, they're going to advertise it somewhere. So that's the next level of, of, of defense. You know, if you're not sure, punch yeah. codes and take a look. You know, don't yeah. take it apart. Don't mess with someone else's uh, smoke detector or anything like that. If you're seeing a clock radio in, in the room and you're not certain about it, unplug it. You know, these things need power. Uh, all this stuff needs power. So if you're really worried about something, uh, picture frames, another one, picture frames that have you know, these electronic picture frames, they're so cheap now. People are buying them, not even realizing there's a camera in them. But there is a camera. I've found them many times, but they weren't being used for malicious reasons. If in doubt, like turn it around or unplug it or, or, or something, you know, just don't be intrusive. But, you know, the gut feeling is, uh, is a really important thing. It's a... Uh, I don't know why she had that gut feeling, but she might not know. Um, you know, and enjoy your vacation. Are going to be cameras there? I know each, uh, people who do rent their places out and they put some cameras in. They have to tell, but it's used by the front door or something like that. They want to see who's coming and going, but they're in plain sight, these things. Yeah, how and much? Just we just got a couple. Last question for you, Steve. Like you mentioned that this technology is becoming cheaper, it's becoming more widely available. Like how much do these cameras cost typically? It's unbelievable what you can get for 50 bucks, and it comes with an iPhone app, which is free. So you know these things are being sold a lot. You can get a free iPhone app. So you could be anywhere in the world, and, uh, oh, here's something coming up. comes onto your iPhone, and there you go. You can look at it. You can pan it. You can record it. People also have home security systems from, you know, legitimate companies in there so they can, you know, spy on their kids and they advertise on TV. So that okay. technology works, too. There are 15 girls staying in a house for my friend's 30th birthday. One of our friends was like, Guys, I'm really paranoid. I feel like there's cameras in the house. And we were like, girl, you watch way too much TikTok. There are no cameras in this house. 
but she whipped out her flashlight and she went investigating. And she found one. In the bathroom, one of the outlets was faced directly to the shower. Okay, it's Kennedy Caldwell from her viral TikTok video there. It's been viewed millions of times about the hidden cameras in that Airbnb on the Sunshine Coast. Steve Parkin is my guest. we got a minute here for some calls here. Paul and Delta. Hi, Paul. Go ahead. Well, I want to say some, uh, you know, Airbnb has had some kind of a wacky reputation. I mean, we've had people, in, especially myself, and I've been um, had a couple of Airbnbs that were dirty, filthy, and they were not kept very well. But having cameras in an Airbnb, that is crossing the red line. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't even go to Airbnb. I just pay extra money and go to the hotel because I know I'm going to get a clean room and there's no cameras. And if there's any issues or queries or concerns, they will deal with it right away. Airbnb needs to get their act together because they're going to lose business. But this is crossing the red line when you start having cameras into places in the areas, you know, that is unacceptable. Oh, yeah, it's on it. Oh, it's crossing a big red line for sure. We just got a minute left here. Steve, your thoughts. I mean, should people be yeah. that paranoid about this? So, so definitely, but it comes down to individuals and, and, and someone's motivation. And that, you know, individuals are everywhere. So this could be hotel staff as well somewhere else it, it, it comes down to one person it could be at your business um trust me i've gone into enough washrooms in, uh, in in businesses because of that particular reason no one ever checks in there i don't know where you work or anyone listening works have they ever inspected your washrooms for cameras has it ever happened ah uh, boy Right. Well, it certainly it certainly keeps keeping you busy these days. I'm sure at your business, Steve. Thank you very much for coming on to talk about this important topic yeah, today. You. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no, appreciate it too. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.